Well, hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Journey Into Sound. My name is Mike Joseph. I am Jermaine Charles. And uh, we talk about music. And, yeah. yeah and culture. Just, and yeah, <laughs> the, the intersection of music and culture. I like that. Yeah. And as we're recording this, the Grammy Awards are in a couple of weeks and they will either be imminent or have passed by the time <laughs> we post this. But we thought it would be a good idea to talk about the Grammy Awards. And I've been trying to put a narrative together for this in my head leading up to us recording. Mm-hmm. And uh, were you ever a big award show person? I think I was as much of an award show person as the average person when I was younger. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten increasingly less invested to the point of, I don't even know who the nominees are this year. Beyonce, Kendrick Lamar, Lizzo, well, Harry I mean, Styles. What you would assume, but also as we will talk about today, sometimes what you would assume is not... Yeah, isn't the reality <laughs> of what actually happens. And we'll, yeah, we'll spend some time also to talk about why that is and the makeup of the Academy and the politics behind that, why they get it wrong so often. Right. Before we get into that, though, now we... We're pre-recording a lot of these episodes, so we haven't started generating a lot of listener feedback because we haven't released a whole lot (laughs) at the time of recording. Right. But was there anything that you wanted to recap on from our previous episode with Stevie Wonder's inner visions and Houdini's escape? Houdini's escape? (laughs) I still think those bars are drawn on. (laughs) I found my copy of the record, Okay. reorganized my vinyl collection, and I was looking at it, and I was like, yeah, this looks like really bad artwork. It's not impossible, but he does have his hands around. <laughs> I like, guess. That would be some pretty good Photoshop. For 1984? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're probably right. I, you had an interaction with Jalil. Uh, I mean, sort of. he liked the Facebook post or something. Yeah. <laughs> Which is dope. Yeah. Or I liked one of his Facebook posts. He showed up in my feed somehow. But I should definitely share the episode on his page when we finally have it out in the wild yeah man i haven't actually gone back and listened to the album but i mean most of those songs are embedded in my psyche right permanently anyway so it's like (laughs) do i need to hear friends one more time not really because i can (laughs) recite that shit from the beginning to end yeah i mentioned having the gospel music background Mm. and forgot to mention that inner visions has Stevie Wonder version of a gospel song on there with Jesus Children of America. Well, I mean, it's his song. He wrote that song, drawing from (laughs) the Bible in in church and whatnot, but it has turned into a gospel standard. Right. Yeah. And it was recently uh, Robert Glasper did a cover of it. Really? Black Radio 3? It's on Black Radio 1. Oh, wow. Okay. And Layla Hathaway sings the verses, and then Malcolm Jamal Warner does like a spoken word at the end of it. So it's pretty cool. I will have to go back. As much as a Robert Glasper fan as I consider myself, it's mostly the singles. So okay. I need to actually go back and listen to those albums in full. Yeah, actually, all three of them, well, even the non-Black radio albums are great. Right. I mean, to me, Robert Glasper, I'm not going to get a feel for him better than if you saw him live, because I've seen yeah. him live a handful of times, and yeah. his band is amazing. Well, he does a residency at least once a year at the Blue Note, right? Right. He did one right. this year. And a friend of mine was actually playing with him, Radar Ellis. And the night he was playing was the night I was getting on a plane to L.A. Uh, (laughs) I was like, I might could pull it off, but also probably not a good idea. Yeah, that's not a good idea. So I I missed it this time around. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, Blue Note is 
a staple. Yeah, in I mean, it's, it's, a, so. it's a legendary place regardless of who's playing there. Exactly. So I used to be an award show nut. Okay. Just because I didn't have MTV. I didn't have opportunities to see musicians that I enjoyed on a regular basis. So right. it was American Music Awards in January, the Grammy Awards in February, Soul Train Awards were in March. Right. Uh, and the family was looting in front of the TV watching that stuff. Again, it's funny to think of how much has changed in the last 20, 25 years. Yeah. When I, you see musicians all the time and you have access to see them all the time, but well, yeah, it used to be so unique. The interaction yeah. is, they're much more accessible. Yeah. Michael Jackson would go underground for a year and then pop up on the Grammy Awards. <laughs> and you're like, ah! Right. So it was a, a different time. And I have not watched a music awards show probably in five years. Okay. It, definitely more recently than I've watched one in full. Mm. Like around the time of To Pimp a Butterfly, I was tuning in specifically to see Kendrick Lamar performances. Right. Because they were always statements. Right? right. Oh, I guess we should also, I've got some sinus stuff going on. Yeah, we both do. <laughs> it is early in the year in New York City. feel like everybody's yeah. got the gunk or a version of the gunk. Yeah. I'm sure you'll so. edit out like the more egregious whatever. Yeah. So you want to get into it? Yeah. How did you want to frame this? The Grammys have historically made some very questionable decisions. <laughs> yeah. And some of it's egregious. Yeah. Like I said, we can talk about the politics of that, but some of it is also, we are speaking from the benefit of hindsight, right? So particularly when you're talking about impact and generally the things that have a huge impact are weird and out of left field when they're released and maybe not... <laughs> The groundbreaking things that they are then proven to be. Correct. But yeah, there's also just some really egregious stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, I think, and I think the egregious stuff gets to me more than the, oh, we didn't realize that this was going to become a thing. Right. And sometimes yeah. it's both. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we wanted to talk about some of our opinions of the biggest, most egregious Grammy snubs. Yeah. And I don't know if you want to go one by one, back and forth. or Yeah, let's do one by one and kind of break it down. I've got my top three and then some honorable mentions. Okay. I'm going to let you start. And these are in no particular order, but they're definitely catered to my personal musical preferences. Of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. Nevermind by Nirvana was nominated in both 92 and 93 just because of when it was released and when the singles came out mm -hmm. and i don't think it took anything home smells like teen spirit lost to layla <laughs> not Derek and the dominoes layla <laughs> no but the unplugged <laughs> yes the eric clapton unplugged version of layla which is a great song but also a retread and also at that point, it was a 20-year-old song in the 90s. I don't want to take anything away from Eric Clapton. And in all of these snubs, I don't want to take good, away from You're good, because I'm very happy order. to take stuff away from Eric Clapton. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, he said some questionable things, if we want to mm -hmm. mention that. Supposedly, he had kind of made his amends by this time. <laughs> right. So that was the single, which literally changed the landscape of music. Nirvana is a whole other episode and their impact. And it lost alternative album to R.E.M., which again, I don't want to take anything away from R.E.M., but never mind. Think about this. So that album was released in late 91, yep. September 91. September 91. So we were still in the throes of 80s music. 
everything was super synth heavy, 80s pop, and nine inch nails. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what radio sounded like anyway. Obviously, Nirvana came from a, a movement that was happening in the Pacific Northwest. Right. But, like, it as far as radio very... was concerned, right. was out. But they weren't really like topping the charts at that point. And all these grunge bands that blew up subsequently might have been around before Nirvana, but Nirvana was but the thing that opened the door. Because of Nirvana, right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, prior to it Smells Like Teen Spirit, Top 40 Radio was really dance pop. So you had your Paula right. Abdul, your Janet Jackson, or pop balladry like Michael Bolton or right. Houston or whoever, <laughs> or it was hair metal. So even that had died down a bit at right. by the late eighties. Well, early, but it's even still like early nineties. Warrant and Skid Row and some of those bands were still yeah. kind of popular. But that was the rock that you were hearing on Top Forty Radio at that point. Aside from bands like REM and U two, who are just way too big to ignore. But Nirvana really changed the game. So obviously, after Nirvana, you have Pearl Jam, you have Stone Temple Pilots, Soundgarden blows up with Super Unknown, right. Alice in Chains blows up. So they definitely were a big sea change for the type of guitar music that you heard on Top 40 radio. Yeah, for sure. And again, this is a whole other episode. Actually, let's save that for another episode, but I would like but, to talk about Nirvana's place within Black culture. That is a really, really interesting topic. Yeah. So I think that one. Yeah, but... <laughs> we, we should put a pin in that. Absolutely. It's funny. I was actually thinking along the same lines, mm -hmm. uh, not specific to Nirvana, but including Nirvana in this groundswell of important music that came out from mid-1991 to like mid-1992. Yeah. Which included Nevermind. It included Pearl Jam's 10 but also from a hip-hop perspective, included the low-end theory, right. included Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Chili Peppers. Actually, I believe Nevermind, low-end theory, and Blood Sugar Sex Magic came out on the same day. Oh, wow. Yeah, but also included like Octoon Baby by U2 and right. Dangerous by Michael Jackson and these sort of like groundbreaking albums. But the album of the year in 1992 was Unplugged by Eric Clapton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he won the most awards that year. Right. And kind of previewing that that gets into the makeup of the recording academy and the old boys club that it was and still continues they're a little better but as recently as last year there were boycotts or well i guess that was right before the pandemic it was before year. the pandemic yeah yeah and they fired the president over that yeah. and yeah. still getting work together to <laughs> a lot of work to do and full disclosure i am a member of the recording academy Right. So still got work to do. <laughs> yeah. So what's your first one? My first one is to Pippa Butterfly, not okay. getting album of the year in, in 2016. And I want to say it was either Adele or Taylor or Bruno. Right, you hear any up. clicking in the background. <laughs> I, I am looking that up. 89 by Taylor Swift oh, wow. was the album of the year. So uh, do you want to know an interesting fact about me? And actually, I may be inviting trolls with this comment. Invite the trolls. Let's do it. <laughs> I don't have anything against Taylor Swift personally. I don't know that woman. But <laughs> I also just don't know her music. I don't have a strong feeling for it one way or another because I am sure I've heard it out in the wild as a person who goes to grocery stores and was <laughs> just in the world. But I cannot identify a taylor swift song wow yeah 
I have a love-hate <laughs> relationship with Taylor Swift. So I think she, in the past, has played the victim card a couple times. And mm. that rubs me weirdly. She put out an album a couple months ago called Midnight's, which is the first Taylor Swift album that I really okay. enjoyed front to back. I mean, it's a huge record. And there have historically been Taylor Swift songs I've liked. And as soon as she made the pivot from country to country pop, I was like, oh, let me check this woman out and let me see what she's about. So I am generally ambivalent, but willing to always give her a chance. That makes sense. Yeah, I thought 1989 was actually a pretty good record. But not better than To Pimp a Butterfly. No, nothing released in 2016 was better. To Pimp a Butterfly, and I don't think it's just my Kendrick bias talking. I mean, that was the sound of a movement. Yeah. I mean, All Right was officially adopted as the protest song. Yeah, that was 21st century lift every voice and sing type stuff. Yeah, And Good Kid Mad City was a great album. Right. But the creative leap from yeah. Good Kid Mad City to Pimp a Butterfly was tremendous. And just the weaving of all of these different types of music, the live band stuff, lyrically, his choice of topics expanding so rapidly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those albums that felt like a work of art. And I think we, as a culture, it's a monolith, so really, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But I really wish that we would applaud creative people who take creative chances more because you know personally people who typically like Kendrick in general but they're like that's not a hip-hop album right I mean it is I am the opinion that it definitely is but it was expanding the boundaries of what hip-hop is right and there's definite funk influences and there's slam poetry stuff going on and some jazzy doing a lot and I personally like what it's doing (laughs) yeah but it's like okay if that's not a hip-hop album is college dropout a hip-hop album are all of these albums from the 90s is de la soul is dead a hip-hop album of course they're hip-hop albums it's just like you said it's an expansion it's an expansion of the lowest common denominator definition of what hip-hop is right well this is a little off topic but uh, krs1 actually had opinions about of course uh, he did (laughs) (laughs) there's hip-hop and there's boom bap right like boom bap is a specific thing and i remember when flashing lights came out krs was like that is not (laughs) hip-hop he's like it's good but it ain't (laughs) hip-hop thankfully krs one is not the judge and jury of what is hip-hop yeah sometimes i think he talks just to hear himself speak well that's definitely true yeah and actually based on that i think i'm going to call an audible for my next one oh because is it kendrick related or is it hip-hop related it's actually creative leap related Ooh, because in 2001 kid a lost to steely dan's two against one (laughs) another egregious example of the old boys club winning out and again not taking anything away from steely dan but their heyday (laughs) was much much earlier long before 2001 also nominated in that same category that same year was the marshall mathers lp beck's midnight vultures but kid a in hindsight again this is one of those things where it's egregious that yeah they voted for steely dan because half the people in the academy probably worked with them at some point in their career. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then also Kid A was so out of left field when it came and people were like, there's no guitars in this album and they're a rock band. There are guitars, but that was the common thing that people were saying. And in hindsight, like OK Computer made Radiohead 
a, a stadium band. And then Kid A was like, but we're going to do what the fuck we want to do and allow them to do that for the rest of their career (laughs) because they could have very easily could have been Muse. Right. For real. (laughs) I mean, look, I like Coldplay. There would not have been a Coldplay without Radiohead. They could have been Coldplay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) But they're like, no, we're, I want to take creative leaps. I want to try stuff. And sometimes I just want to be weird on record. And they have done that ever since. Yeah, absolutely. And today is a not the easiest album. <laughs> to no, get no. It's one of those things that will either grow on you or it'll just be there. But, <laughs> but it's yeah, going to no, stick out. It's a fantastic record. Oh, I'm certainly with that. And Steely Dan, that was definitely like the Grammy Awards have a tendency to be like, oh, we messed up. Because we didn't give you Grammy Awards in your heyday. So we're going to wait 20 <laughs> right. years. The makeup and, uh, award. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of one of those deals. So my next one is, I believe it was either 2005 or 2006. But it was the year that Amy Winehouse's Back to Black was nominated for Album of the Year. Mm-hmm. And uh, Amy won Best New Artist and Record of the Year. But she lost Album of the Year to a Joni Mitchell tribute album by Herbie Hancock. Right. Yeah. Which, you're coming up with a theme here, where it's like (laughs) a legacy act. Right. I mean, a legacy act, a legacy act covers album, a legacy act covers album honoring another legacy act. (laughs) Right. And an album that, look, if you want to talk sales, I want to say that Herbie Hancock album has maybe sold 10% of what that (laughs) Amy Winehouse album did. Right. But also, I mean, look, Herbie Hancock is a legendary musician, one of the great musicians of of the 20th century, mm-hmm. just moved the needle so many times, whether it's Headhunters or Rocket, Rocket yeah. or stuff that he did with Miles back in the day. Right. But again, it is a 21st century covers album, definitely laying on the smooth jazz kind of type thing. And it's a tribute <laughs> to Joni Mitchell. I know of this album, but I haven't actually heard it myself. I, you go listen to some Joni Mitchell records. You'll be just fine. <laughs> but I, first time I heard Back to Black, I was stunned. Well, that was also a movement. Yeah. Right? With Sharon Jones and Amy Winehouse. And there was a 70s soul revival, for lack of a better way to put it. And I was actually just having this conversation yesterday. I'll show you some of my growth. <laughs> I had not heard Gloria Jones's Tainted Love. Oh, wow. Until around that time. Okay. And because there was so much 70s soul, I thought that was a new song that was a cover of Soft Cell. Soft Cell. That's funny. <laughs> and did not That's realize funny. it was the other way around. Yeah, man. That is such a groundbreaking album. And everything about it to me is perfect. And it spawned so many imitators. I mean, you want to yeah. talk about Adele, who the Grammy Awards people love. Adele and Amy Winehouse kind of came up in the same scene. Right. But I remember the first time I heard Adele's debut album, and I was like, oh, so this is a knockoff Amy Winehouse. Right. And same <laughs> thing with like Duffy and all of these um, British women who all of a sudden came out with this throwback retro soul live band sound. It all goes back to what Amy did with Salam Remy and Mark Ronson on the Back to Black album. And even if Amy was still alive, that album is one in a million. That album still goes hard. Well, do you think any of that was getting into the politics of it? Mm -hmm. Because Amy had her reputation at that point. Oh, yeah. 
you think that played a factor in the voting? I think there's two things at play. I think there is the old boys network. And then I think controversy plays a part of it too. And we could even trace that back to when you were talking about Kid A and Eminem being nominated. Right. Eminem had the biggest album of the year, but there was also a tremendous amount of controversy around that yeah. album. And I would imagine it prevented some people from putting their vote in his yeah. box per se. I mean, it might've been a thing where the vote was split resulting yeah. in Steely Dan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because look, own that Steely Dan or owned that Steely Dan record. <laughs> and it's a perfectly fine it's record. Serviceable. <laughs> right. But when you line up the nominees and you look at like Vultures, which I think is a great, great record, probably mm-hmm. one of my favorite Beck albums, Marshall Mathers LP, and I don't like Eminem, but right. at that point in time, I was jamming that album. Right. And then Kid A, which again is just this huge needle moving album. And then you're like, eh, we'll pick Steely Dan. Something in the water does not compute. There's something going on there. And I'm not a member of the Recording Academy, but I am a member of the TV Academy. Okay. And does everyone get to vote on the final categories? Or do you have to be part of a peer group to vote on each? Because where I'm going with this is Steely Dan is definitely known for their technical studio capabilities. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if all the engineers voted a certain way, right? That also tipped the scales. I think I'm not a voting member, but I do think that 20 years ago, the rules were different. Okay. And I believe these days they have affinity groups for each category to make sure that nothing like that happens again, even though (laughs) it still kind of happens. (laughs) Uh, But uh, yeah, back then, obviously there wasn't as much open talk about diversity and there weren't the boycotts that some artists have with the Grammys right now. So yeah. they were just like, we're just going to keep pushing this that kind of thing. We're just, just going to keep pushing it forward until we get called out on it. I hear you. So I called that audible. So I'm trying to decide which one is going to be <laughs> my third pick and which was the honorable mention. Okay. I'll make this an honorable mention because we've already talked about Kendrick, but Macklemore winning over Kendrick in 2014, <laughs> best new artist. I mean, Macklemore himself has come out and been like, what the fuck happened? Right. When the <laughs> artist themselves is like, y'all fucked up? Yeah. <laughs> Something is wrong. So make that my honorable mention just because it, what more can we actually say about that? Right. <laughs> and my last pick for biggest snub. And this is a bit of a personal opinion, but Beastie Boys won Best Rap Duo Performance over Outkast in 1999. Rosa Parks? Uh, yes. Okay. So not to take anything away from Intergalactic, again, it is, <laughs> a great, it is a great Beastie Boys record, but it also won Best Alternative Performance that year. So this is a controversy over categorization, right. if you will. Right. And that same year for the MTV Awards, this isn't the Grammys, but same album, the Intergalactic Music video was up against, I want to say, What's It Gonna Be with Busta and Janet, which was this super special effects heavy thing, and a couple other really good videos that year. And I remember distinctly watching it live on the MTV Music Awards because it was the infamous dress that little kim wore <laughs> the, <laughs> with, the purple, or the jumpsuit uh, yes uh-huh. where she was essentially sexually assaulted by diana <laughs> ross in front of 
<laughs> in, uh, in front world. of millions of people. Yes. yes. And it was Mary J. Blige, Little Kim, and Diana and Ross presented the award. And I remember they did their whole shtick and to announce the nominees. And I actually went back and watched this yesterday. I looked for it on YouTube. Diana Ross opening the envelope, and they're all smiles. And Mary J. Blige has a visible reaction. <laughs> she reads the winner, and I think she recovered and played it off pretty cool, but she throws her hand in the air like, what the fuck? <laughs> says, right. The Beastie Boys. Right. And they immediately got on stage and were like, we want to give props to all of the hip-hop artists, and we're in this genre doing what we do. And they actually took that moment to address the sexual assaults that happened at Woodstock 99 that year. Okay. So much props to them, but also what was going on there? I mean, <laughs> I love the Beastie Boys. I really do. I'm going to try to be sensitive about this. <laughs> I think for a lot of white people, the Beastie Boys was their entree into hip hop because it was the first time that they saw rap music being done by people who looked like them. Right. Yeah. And I think that engendered a great deal of goodwill. Do I think the Beastie Boys are a hip hop group? Absolutely. Yeah. Do I think their music has ever been the best hip hop in any given year? I mean, Ill Communication I mean, was Ill a big Com record. Right. Ill Communication came out the same year as Illmatic. Right. Fair. I mean, Paul's Boutique might have been that the was best hip hop record of 1989. So yeah. I'll give them that. But later Beastie Boys, I mean, was outcast at like the top of their game. Right. Like, Equimini is a legendary hip hop record. Yeah. A widely acknowledged legendary hip hop record. Hello Nasty. It's a creative leaps again. Right. Right. Exactly. Know. Hello Nasty is a good Beastie Boys record. Right. Intergalactic is a fun song. It is. And also, again, I'm not trying to be a gatekeeper, but for those who don't know, the Beastie Boys actually started out as a punk band. Right. And then they connected with Rick Rubin and started doing hip hop and right. some great records. But Hello Nasty was them saying, can we still use guitars? Yeah, I mean, Hello Nasty <laughs> is is one of those albums that you can't really put a genre tag right. on. And it's great for that. Yeah. But should it win out over the things in the specific genre, in this specific genre? I don't see a universe in which 1999 Beastie Boys is better or, I mean, better obviously is subjective, better or more impactful than 1999 Outcast. Right. Like well, to also be fair, there was a lot of silly shit nominated in that category that year. I think it was like Jay-Z and Jermaine Dupri, Money Ain't a Thing, Money which, a thing? which is a fine record, but maybe not what you would think of as a Grammy, right. a Grammy caliber. Right. When you are in the club and Money Ain't a Thing come on, right. right. You're going to dance. But I'm pretty sure Jay would be like, yeah, that's not one of my favorite records. Right, right. <laughs> I did that for a check. Jermaine needed to, yeah, Jermaine yep. wanted a favor. Yep. And... <laughs> and that's the weirdness of a lot of these award shows is that stuff that just doesn't make any sense slips through the cracks and gets nominated and in some cases wins. Again, no shade. I love the Beastie Boys. No shade to the Beastie Boys at all. But yeah. if you look at that era of hip-hop. Outkast was kind of doing this, and Equimini was outcast at the top, I think, my opinion, yeah. 
at the peak of their influence and they got rewarded later on. Right. But even I feel like that's a, y'all missed the chance to <laughs> get to them when you really want, needed to. Right. And then we're like, oops, our bad. Yeah. And then rewarded them later. So speaking of being rewarded later, mm-hmm. did Kendrick get anything for damn? Cause we, we've talked about how he yeah. was up for a good kid and, Butterfly. Butterfly, he won best rap album for all three albums. Okay. Or actually, no, for the last two, because Good Kid lost to Macklemore for best right, rap album right. that year. Or best new artist is what it lost. No, he lost like four awards to Macklemore. Really? Year. Okay. It wasn't wow. just the one. They had a clean sweep. <laughs> they won all the rap categories that year, if I remember correctly. All right. Well, um, at, at, are we going to address the white rapper and the makeup of the Academy elephant in the room? Yeah, it's funny <laughs> because... Obviously, we're now in an era when there being white rappers is not something that's unusual. Right. I think the Beastie Boys have only won like two Grammys, two or three. And I think they ever won that one in a rap category. Everything else has been an alternative Grammy. Um, But Eminem has won a ton of Grammy awards. Although I will also say, particularly in hip hop categories, the Grammy voters tend to lean really hard on one particular person. Like Kanye has a million Grammy awards. Right. A lot of the economy body doesn't know the genre. Right. And another honorable mention, the fact that Run the Jewels 4 wasn't even nominated and everybody expected it to be. I don't like Run the Jewels. You don't have to. (laughs) But I, I think specifically because of the moment that was going on in 2020. Right. And that was a protest record if you listen to it. And it was so of the moment. I am a Run the Jewels fan and have never assumed that they would get any recognition from that group. But I was like, if they're going to get it, when they're going to get it. Because they released the record early because all the protests were going on. And they were like, actually, this music needs to be out here now. No, I feel that. I think contrary to what we were saying about hip hop before, now the gatekeepers of hip hop are so in control of those categories that Run the Jewels might be a little too left to be considered for that. And Run the Jewels also, an observation that I've always made about Run the Jewels is that Run the Jewels' audience is old heads and white folks. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) For whatever reason, not to say that there are no young black folks into Run the Jewels. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've been to Run the Jewels shows. I, without divulging too much, have had a working relationship for many years. Their audience just isn't what the average person would consider a hip-hop audience. That's fair. Because they tell the story when the first album came out of going on tour. And they would each come out and do their individual sets. Right. And people would ignore them. And they would come back out. There was no costume change, nothing. But they would come back out as Run the Jewels. And then the crowd would go wild. And it's like, right. you realize it's the same person on it's stage. It's the same dudes, yeah. But like I said, the old heads who know the back catalogs of these two legacy artists. Right. And then all the young kids. You're absolutely right about that. Right. So. Yeah. So my number three, and I actually do an honorable mention too. So my honorable mention is just conglomeration of all of the artists that have not been properly recognized by the Academy over the years. Okay. Diana Ross does not have a Grammy Award. Wow. Bob Marley does not have a Grammy Award. Talking solo heads or as has, part of groups. Yeah. Talking Heads do not have a Grammy Award. David Byrne probably has a solo okay, Grammy yeah. Award. A Tribe Called Quest has never been nominated 
for a Grammy Award. Right. I think they might have been nominated once. For the last album, I think they finally got a nomination. No, they, they weren't nominated play. for that. That was a big deal. Q-Tip flipped out oh, about wow. that. Okay. There are so many groundbreaking artists that have just never, outside of Michael, the Jackson 5 never won a Grammy Award. Yeah. Janet has only won a handful, and most of them have been in video categories. Right. Uh, Madonna only won Grammy Awards for a Ray of Light. Mm. Just so many groundbreaking artists that have been completely ignored by the Academy. And it's hard to pick out one artist that has been booked just because there have been so many over the years. And that's a shame. But my actual number three was the fact that Prince has never won an Album of the Year Grammy. He was nominated twice in right. 1984, lost to Lionel Richie. Yes. I love Lionel Richie. <laughs> and then in 1987, Sign of the Times lost to the Joshua Tree by U2. Wow. So here you have an artist who, look, I'm biased, particularly when he was at the top of his game. I don't think anybody was making better records than Prince. Yeah. But the two widely acknowledged best albums of his career. And first time he lost to a, a good Lionel Richie album, but not, I think, what people would consider a great piece of art. Yeah. Well, and this is a little inside baseball, but for the listeners, this is a perfect example of the hindsight because Purple Rain not only musically impacted the industry, but Purple Rain changed the business model of record promotion. Mm -hmm. Because, and I was in a secret room of record execs a few years ago, (laughs) and they were talking about how back in the day, the record company would estimate, really decide how many units they thought an album was going to sell. And then that's how they decided how much marketing and promotional budget to allocate towards that record. Right. And Purple Rain came out and they were like, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but, oh, we think this is going to do 30000 So they allocated the budget. And then like first week out, it was at like sixty, And they're like, oh, shit. Maybe we need to reallocate how much money we're putting into this one. It might go far. And it just kept doing that. And they kept upping the budget that they put behind Purple Rain. And it changed the mindset of like, oh, what can records do? Right. And that's before we even get to talking about the music itself. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Just out of the cultural impact of it. And look, cultural impact isn't necessarily something that you see in the moment. But the fact of the matter is the records were hits. Like the records were huge. Yeah. And again, We've said a lot of not to discount the artists that ended up actually (laughs) winning the award. I I love Lionel Richie. I think Can't Slow Down is a really good album. But Hello is not When Doves Cry. Right. All Night Long is not Let's Go Crazy. And the the U2 thing, I guess I can kind of understand. I love U2. I don't think the Joshua Tree is a particularly great album once you separate the singles from it. Well, we got to set the tone because... We're old heads, and we understand who U2 was at the time. Right. This is, for people who only know them from the iPhone escapade. Oh, God. Are, are U, there people U2 who was only actually know a big band at one point. I mean, U2 was the biggest rock band in the world. Right. And the Joshua Tree was kind of like, I don't want to say commercial breakthrough, but the first time I heard of U2 was Joshua Tree. Right. So it was their... Middle America, middle of the road, straight up album. And they were singing about Jesus. And again, and there's like, some and, protest music in there. Right. Too. And there's some protest songs. And I remember that year it was Sign of the Times was nominated for album of the year. Joshua Tree, Bad by Michael Jackson, 
I think there was the trio album by Linda Ronstadt, Dolly Parton, and Emmylou Harris. And I think Sting might have been the other nominee for album of the year that year. So is this a, where the vote might have been split? I think yeah. Michael and Prince probably split the vote. Yeah. I mean, and not to say, again, YouTube was big at the time. And the funny shit is that Oxygen Baby, which was really their next proper album, right. I think is a significantly better album. And, As a whole. Yeah. And did not win album of the year. That was right. the Eric Clapton year. Well, moving into the politics of it, because this is a big thing in the film academy where people are casting their votes without actually watching all of the films, Mm -hmm. right? So as you mentioned, Joshua Tree had the huge singles. Right. Acton Baby was probably the more cohesive album as a whole. Right. But Joshua Tree had huge singles. Right. And I wonder if people just knew the singles and voted for the whole album. It's possible, man. And also, there's a lot of politicking that happens around award shows. And maybe... Yeah. You two has friends. Yeah. In, <laughs> in yeah. places. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure the Grammy people were like, we're not voting for Michael again. And he infamously went 0 for 5 that night. Oh, um, really? Yeah. But, I mean, Sign of the Times is arguably my favorite album ever not made by someone named Stevie Wonder. Okay. Um, and even as an 11-year-old, I remember hearing that album and just being blown away by how good it was. So so you mentioned being an awards head for a while. Mm-hmm. Do you think there are other awards that get it more right? None of them get it completely right. I don't think any of them really more- get it right. <laughs> I think if you look at the award shows kind of over the years, the American Music Awards are voted on by the public. Right. So there's always going to be some questionable shit because it's playing to middle America. Right. And Did you're you going to get like your... half of our potential listenership. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But that's when you get awards that go to Millie Vanilli and CNC Music Factory and Nickelback right. <laughs> and, and acts that have huge hits, but may not necessarily be. And that's why their categories are favorite and not best. Right. Um, I mean, I will say it feels like the MTV awards are more in touch just because that's the generation that right goes right. in that, right. that pays attention there as i talked about the beastie boys for best video they don't always get it right either right and i mean they're honoring videos specifically as opposed to music right. so that's kind of a different story and then you have like the bet Jamiroquai. Awards. I, word <laughs> word <laughs> And then you have the BET Awards and the Soul Train Awards, which are culturally significant, but also might not always have their finger on the pulse of exactly what's happening at that moment in time. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm inviting trolls, but I think Chris Brown is the most awarded BET Award. Is he really? Yeah. Over Beyonce. That's funny. (laughs) That's possible. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to get death threats. (laughs) How sad is it that the discourse on the internet is so insanely whack that that is a legitimate worry? I mean, look, taste is subjective. No one's ever going to get it the way that we want it. I think that you always need a couple of years to kind of look back on history and see what shakes out. And I think that on all ends, there have been some grave errors. And I think it goes like that for every other type of media as well. Like if you talk about the Oscars, fucking right. shit up, the crash Oscar, or yeah, I mean, a million, the historical lack of acknowledgement of black cinema, right. uh, all of that stuff. 
and driving you know, Miss Daisy, do the right thing. Yeah, or the Golden Globe Awards, or yeah. I just watched well, Golden uh, Globes is a whole other thing. Yeah, <laughs> I just watched the Carmichael, who is hosting the Golden Globes this year, on uh, the Jimmy on Tonight Show. Okay, and he pretty much shaded the Golden Globes for his entire sit down <laughs> with Jimmy. Like, I'm gonna take um, this check, but yeah, but <laughs> award shows in general, I think, are just historically engineered to a spark debate which obviously they do but also uh, the way that those things work on the back end oftentimes is in a way that honors who they want to honor as opposed to who should be honored and and, i mean if we will rule the world i get it wrong too yeah so in these picks i am trying to go with things that are particularly egregious just from the cultural significance of who won versus who was snubbed. Right. There's plenty of others where it's like, I feel like so-and-so should have won. But right. also, that's me and my personal preferences and my perspective on things. Sure, Taylor Swift is apparently huge. She should probably get some, <laughs> some awards. Right? But it's, if the award is about best and not most popular, right? has Taylor Swift ever really been the best? Like, take five great albums from any given year and throw a Taylor Swift album in there. And again, she is proficient. She is talented. She writes good melodies. She makes good songs. Do I think that any of her albums has ever ever been the best anything? No, but it's subjective. Outside of the Swifties, you're not going <laughs> to hear many people saying that Taylor Swift anything has been the best anything at anything. But <laughs> I mean, but there's is, a lot of Swifties. Yeah, there's so, a lot of Swifties out there. Ticketmaster will tell you. Yeah. <laughs> And also, this was originally on my list, and it's still very difficult these days for me to say anything good about Kanye, but the fact that Maroon 5 beat Kanye for Best New Artist in 2004 (laughs) is still, like, I don't understand that at all. Well, was he considered new in 2004? Well, I guess as an artist. He had been around. In 2003, so yeah. But he had been producing stuff for a while at that point. Like, I, I, as a hip-hop head, was aware of who Kanye West was long before he dropped an album. Right. But also, I mean, technically, this was Maroon 5's second album. Right. Right. (laughs) Since I've already invited the death threats, I'm just going to go here. Because you started talking about Kanye, and he had his whole Taylor Swift moment. Right. And what Kanye is doing today. His music is great. Was. So, so, so yes. So was <laughs> Wagner's. Right. And is he going to end up in the story of history? Right. And I mean, we could do a whole separating <laughs> art from the artist. In the last Kanye album I bought was Life of Pablo. So I've been yeah. off that train for a minute. You were on it longer than me. I just stopped listening to new music and, 2010. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, That's a me problem. (laughs) I don't know what it speaks to about my personality that it's hard for me even to listen to the Kanye music that I like now. Right. Yeah. Like if Gold Digger came on, it would make me uncomfortable right now. Yeah. So even back in the day, like I said, I was aware of who Kanye was before he dropped his own solo album. Mm -hmm. And I remember... When I was in college, the big thing back then was, oh, he's being so innovative with sped up vocal samples, mm-hmm. right? And again, I, I was digging some of the stuff he did, and I remember being particularly surprised to find out he did that Cameron track, Boy. Did he? Was that Kanye? I thought I, that I, was just Blaze. Okay, maybe maybe I'm getting my yeah, my I'm not sure, mixed up, but 
at any rate, I remember thinking out loud and saying to people at the time, yeah, it's good, but it's also not anything that RZA wasn't doing 10 years before that. And he's gone on to do some really cool stuff. There's a lot of things I found out after the fact that Kanye produced that I wasn't aware of. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, maybe I've been more into his stuff than I realized. From the beginning, I felt he was a little overhyped, but I also, similar to Taylor Swift, just stopped paying attention. So I can't say one way or another. And now with his personality being what it is, I don't really feel compelled to find out. <laughs> yeah, and look, I don't blame you. For me, college dropout, late registration, graduation, those three albums are, are very, very important to me. And his personality at the time, like he was outspoken, but he was also very pro-black. And was. He, yeah, right. <laughs> he was very pro-black. He actually was one of the first rappers that I recall publicly saying anything pro-gay. Mm. Uh, like, I remember him doing an MTV interview talking about, I don't have any problem with gay people. He talked about his cousin who was gay and, and all that kind of stuff. He just seemed like a very progressive and full of himself in the Muhammad Ali kind of way. Not right. full of himself in a dangerous Kanye 2023 kind of way. Yeah. Um, I mean, and there's another conversation that we had also around mental health care in yeah. this country. Yeah. And it is hard to like discuss the nuance of that in a podcast right? because I see a lot of the internet discourse and I know there are a few people in particular who are like, this is not about mental health at all. And I was like, yes, it absolutely is about mental right. health. It's about a lot of things and mental health is one of them. It doesn't but, excuse the specific right. things he's doing, right. but it's part of the conversation. Yeah. People get so fired up about things and again, this is a consequence of internet discourse. People get so fired up about things, they don't see the nuance. Yeah. In every situation, every situation has nuance. Every situation, you got to consider context. You have to think about a whole bunch of different things before you can really reach any kind of conclusion. And I think Kanye's like, it speaks to so many things. It speaks to mental illness. It speaks to being a sycophant and how having yes people in your corner can ruin, I mean- yeah we should have seen that with Mike. We should have seen that with Whitney. We should have seen that with so many other people. And it keeps recycling and repeating yeah. itself. It speaks to so many different things. It speaks to how people are not given the chance to mourn properly, to how men are not given the chance to mourn properly. It speaks to toxic masculinity. It speaks to like a million and one different things. I mean, capitalism, like if it wasn't rich, yeah. those sycophants exist. They wouldn't. So it's a whole bunch of different stuff, but we've gone on a... Uh, yeah, we can around the world. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, man, that just reminds me. I saw this stupid meme yesterday uh -huh. where uh, someone was like, newsflash, Lisa Stansfield has just found her baby, and it shows like a highlight on a map. Yeah, and I was like, this is a deep cut, but I'm glad that somebody posted this meme. <laughs> well, we are going to be recording two episodes today, but for you listeners, <laughs> next time... <laughs> Oh, wait, were we recording two episodes today? I didn't realize that. It yeah, I, I mean, I figured while we're here. Yeah, I, I'm cool with that. All right. We're still figuring this out. Yeah, and, we're still figuring you know. the format out. And I feel like if anybody has suggestions or topics that they want us to discuss or yeah. anything that they think would be pertinent to our conversation, hit us up. Yeah, we might even invite you on and join the yeah. conversation in real time. Yes, I, indeed. Whether you join it in real time or we have an email email us at journey into sound at gmail.com that's journey the letter n the number two sound at gmail give us 
your comments, your feedback. Tell us where we're full of shit. <laughs> Tell us where we're getting it completely no death threats. on. <laughs> right. <laughs> no death threats, please. Yeah. And this is another topic. We should discuss having some kind of social media footprint at some point. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in. And I guess we'll see you next time.